Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Being organized is a kind of awareness practice. That's why I call it a spiritual practice. It's a non-denominational spiritual practice. It's probably the most neutral spiritual practice there is. And you can be of any faith, philosophy, religion, whatever, and be really well organized. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. This is the final episode in a two-part series on the power of organization and the epidemic of chronic overwhelm. Last episode, we discussed that there's far more to getting organized than just moving stuff around. Eliminating clutter is just the start of an even bigger process. Now we cover how getting organized might truly be the game changer you're looking for. It doesn't matter if you want to be more creative, more intelligent, attentive, focused, whatever it is. Organization works to clear the space and make you more open to other things in your life. How you do anything is how you do everything. This episode is from a recent weekly member webcast. For more information about the many benefits of Clear and Open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations just like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Let's dive in. About mm, 10 years ago now, I was uh, fairly well organized. I wasn't a neat freak. In fact, I tend to be, tended to be sloppier than most people. Didn't really bother me. I didn't mind dirt. Wasn't a very good cleaner. And I was working on a book at the time. And I was stuck. And I, had, I, just, I was trying to outline it. If you ever tried to outline a book, that's not an easy thing. Because you have to have a lot of space in your head to get your head around the whole thing. You know, outlining like a blog, that's a couple of pages. You, you can hold that in your head pretty easily. But I, the, the bigger it gets, the more space you need in your head to get around it. And I was stuck. I, I could feel it in me. But I, every time I sat down to outline it, nothing would happen. I would just stare at an empty page. And I had a client at the time who was studying organization. And he was telling me about this book that he read. He's like, you got to read this. It's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. And I had this intuition that maybe if I got organized, that I would get unstuck. Didn't really make sense to me. It was just sort of a feeling. So I got the book and like a good student, like how I want my students to be, I did everything it said. And the thing that changed everything for me, my desk was clean. My email was empty. But the thing I really didn't want to do was organize my filing cabinet. I I, because I hated paper. I still do. Now I don't use it. That's been my solution. I didn't like the clutter of paper. I didn't like files. I hated my filing cabinet. And it made this horrible squeak when I opened it. I didn't like filing. And I had a a a file uh, an inch thick of to be filed, which many of you know is a no-no in the organization world. You should not have a to be filed file. If you have a to be filed file or a to be filed pile, what it means is you hate your filing cabinet because you would rather use an intermediary system than actually use your filing cabinet, right? Because you've got the thing in your hand. This is touch it once in action. You've got the thing in your hand and you go, oh, this needs to be filed. 
And then you go, now just put it on this pile or I'll put it in the to be filed pile. Why? That's the question. Why? Usually right then and there, you unconsciously go, oh, if I open that filing cabinet, it'll make this horrible squeaking sound. And then I'll be digging around looking for where to put it, or I need to create a file for it. And I don't have any file folders nearby. Maybe I think they're in a pile over there. Something gets in your way. That's why the standard you'll learn about if you haven't already is you have to be able to file something or retrieve a file in less than a minute. And you got to like it. It has to be enjoyable. If you can't file or retrieve a file in a minute or less, it means somewhere in you, you hate doing it, and then you make a pile. That's how it works. So that's what I discovered. And I spent an entire weekend extremely caffeinated and listening to Frank Zappa. I'll never forget because because I needed something. That's how my mind works. Frank Zappa is very stimulating um, music. It's one of those. Uh, uh, it's the kind of music you can't do anything else while you, while you, while you listen to it that requires thought. And to me, the idea of cleaning out my filing cabinet was just about the most mind numbing, torturous weekend I could imagine, but I was committed because I wanted to find out. So the music was loud and my blood pressure was high and I spent an entire weekend cleaning it out. And I remember the, having the Avery label templates and everything was labeled and it was less than three quarters full. Oh, and here's the best thing. If you use hanging files, those green hanging files with the hooks, it's one manila folder per hanging file, not two, not three. And most people don't do that. What that does is it makes everything sit at the exact same height so that when you look at it at like whatever angle you're looking, you can see everything. And that's completely different. The moment you add multiple manila folders to one hanging file, they start being at different heights. And that causes overwhelm. Now, this is crazy, right? Are you, ki- are you kidding me, Joseph? You, you're telling me not only does everything have to be typed, but they all have to be at the exact same row. Oh, hear me. I'm not an anal person. At that time, I was quite a slob. I didn't care. But I did it anyway, because I wanted to see what would happen. And I did it. I remember the headache I had from all the caffeine and my neck hurt from sitting on the floor amidst piles of files. And the next day, the outline came. The outline came. It just, now how do you explain that? How do you explain that? In terms of direct causality, there's no, there's no like, Organize your files makes books get outlined connection. You can't connect that logically. You can't do that. There's no way of direct causality there. The only way to explain it is to say that the filing cabinet somehow was creating so much static in my head, it was inhibiting that creative process, like rocks on a geyser were making it just kind of a really mellow stream. But when you pull rocks off a geyser, imagine, you know, a geyser that would normally be 100 feet high with, you know, 500 rocks on it. You don't know which rock is going to make that thing gush. You don't know. So if somebody tells you, well, if you get really well organized, it'll change everything. And, and then you remove one of those rocks and you go, well, nothing happens. See? Well, you got to keep removing the rock. Well, which rock do I remove? I'm sorry. I don't know. Just keep removing all of them. Eventually, you'll find it. 
But that offends the Western direct causality mind. What, you want me to just do all this work and there's no guarantee of a result? You can't even tell me exactly how to do it? Sorry, no. That's the best I can do. And that's how it works. But really, this is not so different from our experience. It's not like, you know, when you learn to ride a bike, it's like, well, how many times do you have to try to ride a bike before you get it and stop falling? Right? How many times does that take? Is there like in the learning to ride a bike manual? Is that written down? No, you don't know. How many times do you have to get on a surfboard to try to stand up before you'll stay standing up? You have no idea. Could be the first time. Could be not even that day. Maybe not even that week. Maybe you'll never stand up. You have no idea. So then what, what gets you past that understandable resistance of like, well, if there's no guaranteed result, what's the point? What, what gets you past that? I hope your hunger and self-interest and desire for this awakening that I call organizational enlightenment with a kind of, kind of in quotes. But so going back to the original um, theme here, remember it's not about getting organized. Cleaning out your email and your files and your desk and all that, those are removing rocks covering the geyser in a kind of leap of faith that one of those things is going to precipitate this breakthrough and your life will never be the same. And you will become more aware, more skilled, and more intelligent because those rocks make you dumb. I guarantee it. One day, I'll, maybe I'll add to the course an IQ test or something. You know, some kind of complex problem-solving thing. I don't know. I mean, you need a lot of data to make that actually work. But I've seen this so many times. When people get organized, they get smarter. Because the, the division of your in, uh, attention in any one domain divides your attention in all domains. The division of your, your attention in one domain divides your attention in all domains. I'll tell you a little bit of a personal story. If you're into psychology, you'll immediately understand why I'm so passionate about uh, becoming more aware. My father was a, um, a computer programmer way back in you know, the early days of computers. He was a Fortran programmer, if any of you remember what that is or know what that is. He wrote code. So he was like a guitar-toting beatnik guy from the, from the 50s. And, um, but he left his beatnik days behind, and he became a computer programmer for a defense contractor. And they wrote code. He was working on what is now stealth technology. So they were firing missiles from California and, um, and ditching them in the sea. They were flying them over Hawaii. Uh, and ditching me in the sea and trying to figure out how to shoot down a missile with another missile. That's what was going on. This is Cold War stuff. And he wrote code in order to um, uh, interpret the data from the radars. So he was he, a very liberal guy, a beatnik, and he was working for a defense contractor. And when he retired at around 62, 63, he became a very different person. It was like some light 
had went on. He was awake in some different way. He was more there. He was more attentive because as a father in terms of like really being there, no, if you spent five minutes with him, you would probably describe him as extremely aloof, not in an arrogant way, just kind of somewhere else. And when he retired, that changed, not completely, but suddenly he was more there. He was engaged. He was passionate. He created a garden in the backyard of, of uh, our home in Massachusetts that became so extraordinary in a few years. It was literally in magazines. Yeah, he really just he enlivened. And I'll never forget this conversation I had with him where I said, Dad, what happened? You were a guitar-toting folk listening to, you know, post-hippie beatnik. And then you went to work for 35 years for a defense contractor. That didn't really fit with your values. How did you do that? And these were his exact words, which I will never forget. He said, I took the reality of the situation and I completely ignored it. That's what he said. And that was one of the primary causes for how he wasn't there for me as a father. Because you can't ignore the reality that you're working for the Cold War while you completely disagree with it according to your own values and not have that spill over into something else that you do, like raising children. It would be great if you could. It would be really great if that were possible. But how you do anything is how you do everything. If you're distracted at work, you're distracted at home. If you waste time reading emails at work, you do that at home. Or do you do it some, somewhere else? And there's no compartmentalizing. It's like the line on a map. You know, when we look at a map at the, you know, the border between Connecticut and Massachusetts, when you go there, there's no, you know, four foot thick black line. <laughs> I remember distinctly as a kid being very disappointed that that wasn't the case when we drove from Massachusetts to Connecticut. So where's the line? I remember that. I was so disappointed that there was no line there because I loved maps as a kid. Thus began my quest for certainty in an uncertain world. So being organized is a kind of awareness practice. That's why I call it a spiritual practice. It's a non-denominational spiritual practice. It's probably the most neutral spiritual practice there is. And you can be of any faith, philosophy, religion, whatever and be really well organized. But it really is a spiritual practice. And if you don't relate to it as a spiritual practice, it could be that you'll get really well organized and not have this breakthrough. And I really don't want for that to happen. Could be that you don't relate to it as a spiritual practice and it happens anyway. It just depends. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.